Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast, brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. I am Scott Guthrie, a neonatologist and the infant medical director of TIPQC. I am really excited about today's conversation. We're going to talk further about the Tennessee's Tiniest Babies Project. Today's guests are two of the state leaders in the first part of that project, severe interventricular hemorrhage reduction. If you missed the episode with Dr. Caitlin Kramer, you might want to go back and listen to it. There are a number of things that she talked about that went into the development of what we're going to talk about today and also why it is so important to tackle this problem. If we tackle this problem correctly, we will make a huge impact in the care for all of Tennessee's tiniest citizens at the 13 level three and four NICUs across our state. Specifically, we are targeting potentially better practices for those babies born at less than 30 weeks and targeting some of the biggest and deadliest problems they encounter. Today, we're going to sit down together and introduce you to this new project and then tell you about our first bundle of care. So I want to take a moment and introduce you to Dr. Marcelo Raines and Dr. Parul Zaveri. Dr. Marcelo Raines is a neonatologist in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and is an assistant professor at the University of Tennessee College of Medicine in Chattanooga. Dr. Zaveri is also a neonatologist, and she practices at Regional One and Le Bonheur. She is an assistant professor at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center in Memphis. So welcome, both of you. This isn't your first time on this podcast, and I need to welcome you back to the show. How's everybody doing? Hi, Scott. Thank you for the introduction. Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again. All right, Marcelo, tell us a little bit about the Tennessee's Tiniest Babies Project, or TTB, as we've been calling it. Yeah, so this project was started around March of 2022. It's crazy to believe that it's been past a year already, and we're in 2023, but there was a good representation of Level 3 and Level 4 NICU representatives in um, our annual TIPQC conference, and we got together and basically wanted to decrease the mortality of the state of Tennessee, the infant mortality. Um, and one of the focuses, main focuses, was to, as you will put it, the tiniest citizens of Tennessee to, to drop the mortality rate of the babies that are less than 30 weeks um, gestation, which means 29 weeks and six days and below. So we got together, and I love what you said, Scott, there. You said a big, hairy, audacious goal, which was compelling, this long, long-term goal to intrigue us and to inspire us to take action. So we drew from that, and basically we got together and said, hey, let's, let's 
get something together for kind of these bundles for these individual hospitals to not only um, come together and put together these practices um, at a statewide level, but um, to also de help decrease the mortality rate for the babies. Yeah, so this is something that's never been done on the state level before, has it? There's been a lot of institutions that have done this, this individually and reported their results, but uh, nothing like this on a state before. So it was, a, it was a lot of fun last year trying to figure out how we were going to tackle this, wasn't it? Oh, correct. Yeah, that's the that's one of the other draw, draws for me too. You know, to um, was that this hasn't been done at a state level, and uh, when I hear something is impossible or really hard to do, then I'm I'm usually on board. Yeah, and so both of y'all were involved very much with the development of this project, and that's what really started last March. Was you know how are we going to tackle this problem? And parole, that's that's what I want you to come in and, and give us some some information about. What is going on in Tennessee and why in the world this work is so important in our state? Yeah. Hi, Scott. So, uh, yeah, I agree with Marcelo. I can't believe we started this in March of 2022. It's been so long. Yeah, I do believe this project will have a significant positive impact on the outcomes, you know, of our tiniest and most vulnerable population. And I think this is going to be especially important for the state of Tennessee, you know, as most of us know that Tennessee has one of the highest preterm birth rates as compared to the other states in our country. Tennessee also has a very high infant mortality rate. We are right at seven per thousand live births. And uh, that's occurring amongst these extremely preterm infants and extremely low birth weight infants represents almost uh, one third of our state's infant deaths. So it's really, really important to target this population. One of the you know, high national, uh, high priority national health goal was to uh, reduce the U.S. U.S.'s infant uh, mortality rates to five or under deaths per thousand live births. So for Tennessee to meet this goal, we have to reduce uh, our infant mortality rate by 25% from our current baseline. So we have some ways to go. Not only is our infant mortality rate higher compared to, you know, the other states, but we also have a significant disparity between uh, mortality rates in African-American versus uh, the white uh, population. So it's also important that, you know, in this project, we try to kind of uh, address this disparity. And um, so... You know, yes, this project is really crucial for uh, all the NICUs in Tennessee. So we can, you know, get caught up with the nation's numbers and ho hopefully do even better. I'm really hoping that we have many level three and NICUs willing to participate uh, in this project. TIPQC will be providing many resources to the participating units, including brain power, troubleshooting with various issues that come up and also with data collection. So yes, I would really like to urge various units to take part in this project. Yeah, this is one of those awesome. Yeah, this is one of those things that that shared resources are so vitally important to success in this. And some of our bigger hospitals, they've got the ability to do the small baby units, and they've got lots of resources. And some of our smaller neonatal intensive care units that are doing this type of work just just don't have these resources. And that's one of the things TIPQC can do. You can come in and bridge get everybody working together like, like we have done, neonatologists all across the state to come up with a way we're going to tackle this. And, and Marcella, that's what I want to ask you this next question. You know, 
Tennessee is a really long state. Sometimes I don't think people realize exactly how uh, geographically diverse it is, how ethnically diverse it is, how economically diverse it is. You've got Johnson City way up in the eastern corner of Tennessee that is actually a shorter drive to Canada, believe it or not, than it is from Johnson City to Memphis. Uh, it takes about eight to nine hours to make that drive if you don't stop at all, and you can, believe it or not, get to Canada uh, quicker than you can Memphis. And you've got the mountains over in East Tennessee. You've got uh, Mississippi Delta that begins in the in the courtyard of the Peabody Hotel, if I remember right by rule. Uh, and you've got this huge uh, diversity across our state. How do these factor into the disparities of care uh, that occur? And how can this project and what TIPQC is getting ready to do uh, help this? You're absolutely right. You know, it's, it is a long state. And that, that in Missouri is the ones that, you know, border eight states apiece. So people, people don't realize, like you said, how diverse uh, Tennessee is geographically. You know, Tennessee has 13 level three and four NICUs across the state. And they care for, you know, the higher level NICUs care for the infants that are less than 32 weeks and birth weight of less than 1,500 grams. And just to put some statistics out there, in 2020, about 1,352 babies, or 1.7% of the live births, were born very preterm in Tennessee and cared for at these facilities. So what TIPQC is trying to do is trying to help with variation as well. You know. There is a lot of variation in, in general. Um, you know, there, there's the outcomes and so forth um, are something that we tend to focus on. But the other thing, too, is that even among the NICUs themselves, you, you ask, you know, three or four different NICU doctors from across the state how they would do something, and there is variation to that. So to lower the Tennessee's infant mortality rate, um, and, improve, and to improve equity by reducing in disparities in care is something that we have a focus on. And how do we do that? Well, it all boils down to getting different, these different NICUs, these level three and four NICUs to work together and collaborate and basically give these guidelines to help reduce practice variation. So, you know, I tell medical students and residents not to let pride get in the way of progress. If someone is doing something better, ask about it. Be curious and see if it can fit into your facility. And then if it does, try to do it even better. And that's the beauty of this collaboration. TIPQC really brings a collaboration among all the NICUs, the level three and four NICUs across the state. And that's something that's special. Yeah, I love that. The fact that we have all been able to, to work together and, and not only the, the three of us and the larger group at TIPQC that has worked on this, but as we have pulled from, from resources from all of these other NICUs around the state to, to look at this project as we've, as we've conceptualized it and to get feedback and, and input from them. So Parole, I'm sure our listeners are wondering, you know, what is this Tennessee's Tiniest Babies project about? What, uh, what are we going to do? Tell us about it. All right. So uh, the Tennessee Tiny Baby Project, I'm going to say TTB in future so it's short and easy so this project is mainly going to focus on improving the survival rates and outcomes for the extremely preterm infants um, you know for our project we are going to uh, like include infants who are born at less than 
29 and uh, 29 weeks and 6 days of gestation and you know targeting these infants should automatically lower tennessee's overall infant mortality rates and help us you know bring it from 7 to 5 or less per 1000 live births this project is you know mainly going to target the most common causes of mortality and morbidity amongst the extremely preterm population the four big ones are ivh or intraventricular hemorrhage uh, necrotizing enterocolitis sepsis and uh, last but not the least bronchopulmonary dysplasia these are the big four the big four ones uh, so this project is going to be launched in phases and each phase is going to target one big area so we will come up with a bundle of care uh, that has you know specific guidelines and specific lists of potentially best practices in each of these areas and uh, the intention is to have each participating hospital to incorporate these uh, potentially better practices from the bundles into their unit and when they do so the hope is that you know there is more uniformity in practice not only in their unit but all over the state and you know whenever there is more uniformity whenever guidelines are followed uh, studies have shown that you know this does result in an improved outcome so the goal is to at one bundle a time you know uh, improve the outcomes in each of these four big areas and the ultimate goal is going to be to imp- uh, decrease the mortality overall mortality rates in these n- neonates preterm neonates and this should indirectly affect tennessee's infant mortality rate yeah wonderful so marcelo if this works what are, what do you think is going to happen and then what's our overall timeline for this happening you know is this something that 6 months from now we're going to have have seen this big difference or is this something that's going to take a little while Yeah, absolutely. This is the what we call the big hairy audacious goal. So it's going to take years to kind of unfold and that's the beauty of it. We're going to see some results trickling in as these bundles come out as Dr. Perul mentioned, you know, bundle 1, bundle 2, bundle 3, bundle 4 are slowly being going to be implemented out as the years go by. So for severe IVH, that's the one that Perul and I were helping spearhead and that one um basically will start in March and hopefully by March of 2024 we will be seeing some of those results then the chronic lung disease bundle will be by September 2024 and the necrotizing enterocolitis bundle will be by March 2025 and then the hospital acquired infections by September of 2025 so But the good news is as we're working through these bundles we'll be able to see hopefully a re- reduction in mortality as time goes by. Yeah, and of course we'll be tracking so so first off those timelines that you gave are also big hairy audacious goals. Hopefully we'll be able to meet those. But also the fun thing as we do this is we're going to be tracking all this data and all this information in some of these bundles and these projects. They may actually overlap and we we may see a combined effect. on some of these things i think specifically with some of the stuff we've talked about with chronic lung disease reduction may also uh have a have a impact in the, in what we're seeing with our interventricular hemorrhage so let's get into some specifics of this bundle that you both worked on this interventricular hemorrhage bundle and exactly how we're going to reduce 
the severe IVH rates around the, uh, the state. Parul, uh, why is this such an important problem to tackle first? Yeah, so uh, severe IVH or severe intraventricular hemorrhage, uh, this includes uh, grade 3 and grade 4 uh, IVH. And this is the most devastating complication in the extremely preterm infants. And it has, you know, not only a very high mortality rate, but also it has significant long-term implications. A grade 3 and 4 IVH occurs pretty commonly. It occurs anywhere between 15 to 45 percent in all low birth weight infants. And all it is fatal up to in almost 20 percent of them. Even if the babies do survive this hemorrhage, there are many long-term sequelae like hydrocephalus, seizure, cerebral palsy, blindness, deafness. Even if you don't have any of these major complications in future, you're still very, very at a very high risk to have, you know, behavioral problems, learning disabilities. So, so this burden is huge and it lasts a lifetime. However, I do think that, you know, over all these years, we've gathered at least enough knowledge to be able to at least try and target to reduce this complication. Uh, we know that more than 90% of severe IVH will occur within the first week of life. And as many as 50% of cases will occur within the less than 12 hours of life. So we know that this first week of life is an extremely crucial, uh, extremely critical period in the life of the preterm baby. So if we target this period and, you know, we come up with specific guidelines or a specific bundle of care with potentially best practices, then the care that we deliver to these high-risk babies can improve significantly. In fact, there are a lot of publications out there where many NICUs have implemented targeted neuroprotective interventions in the first week of life, and they have been able to bring down their rates of severe IVH significantly. So it's doable. So in short, you know, we know IVH is dangerous, but it can be tackled, and trying to do that should be our first priority. Yeah, so Marcelo, you mentioned earlier that there's there's 13 level three and four neonatal intensive care units around the state of Tennessee. Why do you think it's so important that every NICU participate in this project? Yeah, just specifically talking about the numbers, you know, as I mentioned before, these 13 NICUs have these really small babies. Um, and to focus on that and just Having an ongoing discussion of shared resources, data, what's best for the babies, you know, it's, it's really tough for, you know, one specific neonatal intensive care unit just to do everything perfectly. We all have our strengths and our weaknesses, and I think this, this is why getting everyone involved in this collaboration is, is just really, really important, and I would encourage anybody out there to, you know, ask about it. Uh, and get involved because this is how we can share resources and data and to improve our outcomes because, you know, one hospital might be doing something really, really well and the other hospital, that is their weak spot and then they can collaborate and say, hey, how did you come up with this or what, what did you do to have these sort of outcomes in this specific area? You know, your babies are 
are never cold. You know, we have a problem with sometimes with optimal core climate the babies being cold afterwards. What room temp do you set or the OR temp do you set it at? So that's why I encourage where I think it's very important for all NICUs in the state of Tennessee, all the 13 level three and four NICUs to participate in. Yeah, so let's delve into this bundle of care a little bit. These uh, potentially better practices that uh, we have uh, come up with and struggled, I think, with, uh, with coming up. We have looked at a lot of material, a lot of resources. How many papers do y'all think we have reviewed over the past uh, six months or so that we worked on this? Any, any guesses? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, a, a lot. lot. I, was, I think I've got like over 100 or so in my file. Uh, that uh, all these meta-analysis and systematic reviews and trials from various countries and recommendations and physiology papers and things like Correct. that. So it's a it's a ton of stuff that we have looked at. And this is this is nothing that we have just like come up with magically. These are things that have have been proven in other quality improvement projects. Uh, we've we've taken a lot of information. Again, I'll reference back the the interview with uh, Dr. Kramer from UCSF, the paper that that uh, she published in our podcast with her. And then if you'll remember one of our early uh, interviews with Dr. Colm Travers down at UAB, where we were first conceptualizing this uh, project, uh, our listeners can go back and listen to that interview as well. Both of them did this project, did this very well. So um, let's delve into it. What are some of the highlights that we recommended? Well, to start off, one of them was the antenatal steroids and magnesium. We, again, as you mentioned, um, all of us got together and read lots of papers, and not only papers, uh, you know, that we could find, but pertinent papers, you know, meta-analysis, like you said, and that were up to date. Um, and one of the things that consistently came up was the use of antenatal steroids and magnesium. So we say that all eligible mothers with at 22 weeks and above um, who present with preterm labor should be given beta-methasone and magnesium. And, you know, in this uh, bundle, uh, we provide the references and so forth so if people have questions. So that's, I think, one of the really nice things about it. Um, along with that, we specifically said, uh, gave a little bit of information or guidelines about cardiopulmonary resuscitation and simulation training. Simulation is really, really good, especially nowadays when not as many babies are being intubated. Um, you know, uh, before every meconium baby, whether screaming or not, was intubated. But those skills are a little bit lost now. So we recommend about good simulation and cardiorespiratory resuscitation, especially for these really tiny babies, um, because it's of prime importance for these babies to get a stable airway if they're not breathing on their own. Yeah, like Marcelo said, like not a lot of babies are being intubated. You know, we're learning a lot of new things over all these period of years of taking care of these little babies. And, you know, we are realizing that a lot of things that, you know, we were doing as a reflex may not be good for the babies. Like, for example, you know, going and looking at the baby every hourly or, you know, monitoring the blood pressure every hourly or excessively stimulating their baby. So all these, you know, cause more harm, do more harm than good. So we, we've learned 
all of this over a period of years. So we also came up with specific recom nursing recommendations, like how to nurse babies. You know, we came up with specific touch times, like do not touch your baby if you don't need to more than every, you know, six hours. So that will significantly reduce the, num the amount of stimulation that a baby gets. So other things are, you know, we used to give a lot of uh, blood pressure medications to these babies. So we also came up with specific guidelines of not using so many blood pressure, the vasopressor medications, because we have learned over a period of time that, you know, this can actually result in IVH. Fluid boluses, you know, inadvertent use of fluid boluses, inadvertent use of sodium bicarb. So all of these interventions we have learned over a period of time are more harmful and they do more bad to the babies than good. So we have all of these listed in our potentially better practices to avoid. Yeah, so hopefully, you know, the units, participating units will follow all of these and we'll start seeing some results. So one of the things that we did to lay the groundwork for this project was our optimal cord clamping project. And I loved this one because this was something that we could do with every birthing hospital around the state. It was hugely successful. And it also began to get neonatal intensive care units and neonatologists and care providers getting used to doing optimal cord clamping or delayed cord clamping for 60 seconds in the babies that come to the neonatal intensive care unit. So tell us how we have adapted that into this intraventricular hemorrhage uh, reduction bundle and the benefits of optimal cord clamping in this population. So optimal cord clamping uh, was one of the lowest hanging fruits um, that we found. And astoundedly, so a Cochrane analysis found that, you know, if you delay cord clamping, it can reduce the incidence of mortality in preterm infants by nearly a third. And that is something that was astounding to me, and then I became very passionate about that. And that essentially laid the groundwork for the, to prevent the severe intraventricular hemorrhage or the severe IVH because what we have found through the literature um, and through other expertise that if you optimally uh, if you do optimal cord clamping, which is delay the clamping time of the umbilical cord at least 60 seconds, even in these 25-week, 26-week babies, um, you get decrease in intraventricular hemorrhage and decrease in mortality. So that was one of the, as Scott mentioned, one of the starting points where this collaboration in the state started. And there was another thing that we added to this bundle too that I remember us having some very long discussions about uh, and that was giving a, a medication called endomethacin, giving prophylactic endomethacin to uh, or making some recommendations about that to prevent interventricular hemorrhage as well. Uh, Parul, what, uh, what was our ultimate decision and why did we uh, decide to, uh, to make this recommendation? Yeah, so, you know, unlike the cord clamping, which is a low-hanging fruit, I think this endomethacin, use of endomethacin is going to be really a high-hanging fruit. Because uh, <laughs> if you remember, Scott, there were a lot of studies in the past which showed that, you know, endomethacin was great, it reduced IVH, and then, you know, there were a lot of other studies which showed that, you know, uh, it was associated with a higher incidence of intestinal perforation, 
But then, you know, further digging into all those studies, uh, we realized that this was only when it was used along with uh, steroids, which, you know, some of our babies uh, received for whatever reason, like blood pressure instability or any other reason. However, recently this interest in endomethacine, especially just like a single dose endomethacine at less than 12 hours. There has been a resurgence in the interest for looking at what endomethacine, how endomethacine can help these babies. So a lot of units are now using a single dose of endomethacine at uh, 12 hours or less in uh, extremely preterm babies to prevent IVH. And um, it's, it's a part of their bundle to reduce IVH. So it's difficult to kind of individually assess the effect it has on reduction of IVH. Uh, however, I do think that, you know, with so much positive literature, even in the past, I think this is definitely worth trying. So after a lot of back and forth and a lot of literature review, uh, we did come up with, you know, the guidelines for using endomethacine as a single dose in specific uh, population, not every preterm baby less than 29 and 6 weeks, but specific babies. Like if you're less than 25 weeks, then you should receive. Or if you're between 25 and uh, 27 weeks and, you know, you have not received prenatal steroids or, you know, if you were born at a hospital outside your uh, you know, at an outside hospital and you were subjected to transport early on, all of this increases the risk of IVH. So in all these situations, you know, where the baseline risk is high, where the risk of IVH is higher than your baseline risk, it would benefit receiving a single dose of uh, endomethacin. So th this is another, this is, a, this is something new that we have incorporated uh, in our uh, potentially better practices. Say, I have taken this to my department and we've kind of discussed this. Uh, I, I don't know. Let's see what kind of feedback we get from everybody. Yeah. So th the beauty of, of this bundle in this project is, is what should be a compounded effect of all of these recommendations that, that we've made. And that's what uh, other people that have gone before us and done this on a single institutional level have, have noticed. It's not just one thing that is the magic bullet. It's a silver bullet that that fixes this problem, but it's really a confounding effect of all of these different recommendations. So once we uh, got this together, and I specifically got both of you involved because I've got one neonatologist from the eastern part of the state, one neonatologist from the western part of the state, we shared this with some other people. Uh, what was that, that process involved, and who all did we share it with to make sure we had, had gotten everything and everything was would actually be able to be... Uh, actionable information and and things that could be actually implemented yeah so you know after a lot of discussions and literature review when we finally came up with a rough draft of our toolkit we did forward it to you know the other neonatologists in the areas and we also in got a lot of uh, you know we involved a lot of uh, other uh, individuals like nurses, neonatal nurse practitioners, physical therapists to kind of, you know, get a little bit of input from their side too. And, um, you know, we did get a lot of feedback. And after a lot of discussion, again, we finally finalized our toolkit. Yeah, perfect. So if uh, I can imagine some parents listening to this, and, and, and maybe they made it this far in what has been a, a pretty technical discussion. I mean, we've gone into some nitty-gritty on how you you do quality improvement and how you build a project out and 
how you determine what your potentially better practices uh, might be. What would you want a parent to be who is listening to this uh, to know so they can maybe ask appropriate questions of, of their neonatologist if, if, God forbid, they have to, to meet one of us uh, and their baby's getting care and is in this target range that, uh, that, that we have, have mentioned. What would you want that parent to, to be to know? The one message I would like to get across is, you know, for the parents to know that, uh, you know, they're not alone. TIPQC is here working around the state to make sure that, you know, their babies get the best care possible. And uh, we do care a lot for the, you know, well-being of their little babies. Marcella, what do you, what do you, what do you want them to know? Yeah, I would also say, you know, I'm a parent too and I have kids and, you know, people like us, pediatricians slash neonatologists have um, literally given our lives for these babies. Um, there's not a day that goes by in my mind where I don't think of my children at home. Um, and that's why we push and we volunteer to do this literature research because we truly and deeply care about every single baby in the state. Um, and I also tell them to, you know, talk to their doctors, talk to their OBs, you know, ask them if, you know, they have specific questions about, you know, uh, TIPQC sort of related material, um, optimal cord clamping, anything like that. You know, I think open communication is best. Uh, I tell the parents when I do my consults, hey, if, you know, you have any other questions that come up, just, just write them down and we can go over them. So just be curious. Love it. So uh, if I'm a healthcare provider and I've made it this far in this podcast too, I'm like, you know, this sounds awesome. Uh, one, if I'm in Tennessee, I, I need to get my hospital on board in this because we need to be committed to, to taking care of these, of these tiny babies. But maybe you're a listener from another state, another PQC. Uh, where could we get some information about uh, this project? Recommend being the squeaky wheel, you know, uh, just don't don't take no for an answer. If an email gets lost in the shuffle, just keep at it, you know, until you find someone and, uh, you know, you get yourself involved in something like this in your state as well. Yeah, so we will uh, leave these links in our show notes so they'll be easily accessible uh, to all of our listeners too. So, wow, I want to thank both of you for taking the time out to uh, share your expertise and knowledge on this project. And I definitely want to thank both of you for all the hard work and the hours upon hours upon hours that you have spent uh, on this project as well. And I've got a question for you though. And this is my favorite question to ask when I do these podcasts, uh, because I, I think it can be inspiring information. Uh, it's a good message to sort of leave our listeners with. It gives me some insight into, into who you are. But uh, imagine you've got uh, a big billboard going into Memphis by rule and Marcelo for you going into Chattanooga and somebody has given you this billboard and you can put any words of wisdom you want on it that the thousands and thousands of people who are driving by on I-40 or I-24 uh, get to look at and uh, see what they can do uh, or what they can learn uh, about life. Uh, it could be about something that we've talked about, or it could be just something inspiring to you. What would both of you say? Uh, Paro, I'll let you go first. Uh, you know, mine would say this quote by Bob Marley. 
uh, it says, you never know how strong you are until being strong is the only option. Love it. I think, I think this is just beautiful. It is so, so true. You know, so many times, you know, you, you kind of experience an incident in your life and you get out of and over that incident and then you think back and you kind of feel like, how did I survive this? How did mm -hmm. I do this? So, you know, I always kind of, it comes back, this saying comes back to me. And, you know, since this is a neonatal podcast, I think this is so true for our preterm babies, right? Like they don't know any other way out. They have yeah. no option yeah. other than being strong. And then, you know, so many of them, in spite of like going through so much in the most vulnerable time of life, so many of them emerged so strong and so resilient to all the adversities. Yeah. And the parents you, you think about, too, that we encountered it with what they're going through and Oh, yes. And the emotional oh, yes. distress of that. So that, that, I yes. love that. That's a lovely quote. All right, uh, Marcelo, can you top that one? <laughs> well, it's beautiful. I, I love that because, you know, they, the, these babies are tough. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about this question, and, uh, you know, my wife and I were going through uh, our will, you know, as you do, as you, I guess you get older, you're like, oh, and so they asked us, you know, specifically, hey, what would be said if, you know, you both passed in an airplane, God forbid, or something. And, uh, you know, I looked at my wife and I, and I said, love well, you know, two yeah. words. And uh, I think that's what I would put in the billboard. I feel that if you do that, you know, you love well in the hospital, you, you do those untangible things that no one sees or, you know, you anonymously donate or you give of your time and so forth that good things will come of it whether it's a mechanic that's driving by that sees that um, or whether it's a police officer and so forth and specifically to the you know the literal heroes the nurses the respiratory therapists the docs and so forth in the hospitals if they love well I think this world would be a better place. Man, that, those are awesome. I, I think uh, we need to call one of the advertising companies and try to make this happen because both of those quotes would certainly be <laughs> inspirational to be uh, driving past that every day. So again, I want to thank both of you uh, for your time. And in closing, I want to remind everyone that this project is going to kick off at the TIPQC conference on March 27th and 28th. Y'all both know we have a free conference in Tennessee, the TIPQC conference. So for anybody who's listening to this who's in Tennessee, or I guess if you're not in Tennessee, you could attend too. Uh, that'll be March 27th and 28th. Uh, Dr. Colm Travers from UAB uh, will be one of our guest speakers, and he's going to be talking about their Golden Week project and share his experience improving care for tiny babies. Again, that project was something that we uh, based Tennessee's tiniest babies off of. So he will be there. We can learn from him. As I mentioned earlier, we've had him on the podcast before. And also one of our previous podcast guests, Dr. Ryan McAdams, uh, who was in episodes 47 and 48, will also be joining us as a keynote speaker. And he has, uh, will be talking about how providers uh, deal with grief, which I think is a very important topic. And he is, uh, has some great words of wisdom for that. So Dr. Rains, Dr. Zaveri, thank you so much for joining us today. And to our listeners, please remember to take a look at the show notes where you can access the TIPQC site and the link to learn more about Tennessee's Tiniest Babies Project. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. 
you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic, or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee. 